0: Good morning Harvest and welcome to our service. Thanks so much for signing in with us. Let me just spend a few moments on notices. First of all I I just wanted to draw your attention to the fact that this Sunday is Orphan Sunday. It's the Sunday when we remember the plight of orphans all over the world and consider how we can contribute to the alleviation of their pain and their suffering. Uh, There are probably about 1.8 million orphans in Zimbabwe um, that's one of the figures that I've heard recently and one of the ways that we have been trying to contribute to a solution to this problem at Harvest is by running Runurara, um orphanage and so that is uh, an option for you to get involved in making a difference by contributing to Runyurara whether it's through clothes or um, money or even your time going down to spend time with the children but orphanages and institutions are not necessarily the best way to look after orphans Um, obviously the the most desirable thing is for a child to go into foster care or first prize be adopted and at harvest we have four different families that have adopted children which is really excellent Another thing that you can do is also to become a place of safety and I know of two families at Harvest that have um, offered themselves up as places of safety. This is where um, a baby is is sent across to your home for a week or two until that child can be placed um, somewhere else. Rich and Joe Hully became a place of safety and they looked after a little baby called Isabella for a few weeks. Um, Then Isabella went into Ronyararo Children's Home and after a period of time Rich and Joe were able to adopt her. So these are some of the things that you can do and what I'd like to do now is just to show you a short video clip of what it's like to be an orphan in the world. Um, This is about Makazole Mapimpi, he's one of the Springbok rugby players and the people featured in the interview are a commentator, and then also Rossi Erasmus, who is the coach for the Springbok side that won the World Cup last year. So if you could just watch that that video, we'll watch it together now. Isn't that an incredibly moving video? And it just shows what it's like to be alone in the world. And of course, nobody needs to be alone. And especially if we are drawn into a relationship with God and are reunited with our Heavenly Father by being adopted through Him. Um, Some more notices. We uh, had our first men's prayer meeting on Tuesday this week and it was a tremendous success. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Craig led the meeting very well. We had 14 or 15 guys. So just a reminder that that's going to be happening on the first Tuesday of every month. Would you like to turn now to Ephesians chapter 4, and we're going to be reading from verse 17. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, and be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. We're going to be taking two sessions to cover this particular passage and today we'll be looking at verses 17 to 19 which is about rejecting death. Will Provine was a professor of the history of biology at Purnell University and he believed in Darwinism. In a documentary entitled Expelled he was interviewed by a journalist called Ben Stein and Ben Stein asked him how his belief in Darwinism had led him to reject his belief in God and then the effect that that had had on his life and so I'd like to quote from that interview now. Provine said, it starts by giving up an active deity. Then it gives up the hope that there is any life after death. When you give those up, the rest of it follows fairly easily. You give up the hope that there is any imminent morality. And finally, there is no free will. If you believe in evolution, you can't hope for there being any free will. There is no hope whatsoever of there being any deep meaning in life. We live, we die, and we're gone when we die. In some ways, the nature of a man's life is defined by circumstances outside of his control. But the quality of his life is very clearly defined by the choices that he makes within those circumstances. It's really sad to see in life that there are many people who are living lives that are not worthy of that title life because they're not really living a life that is full, fullness of life. And today we're going to learn that choosing to truly live depends on what we choose to believe. Professor Provine chose to believe Darwinism which led him to the conclusion that life is meaningless and empty. And today I'd like to talk about how to choose life, first of all, by rejecting death. In this whole process, we need to reject something and we need to embrace something. And first, we need to reject death. But before we do that and we talk about that, let's just uh, recap briefly what we've been looking over in the last few weeks We've been in, the chap- uh, in Ephesians chapter 4 For some weeks And we've made the point That <laughs> in some ways We have this multi-billion dollar salvation But we often only render A five cent return as a result And this is not what Paul wants It's not what anybody Who has sacrificed for the sake of the gospel Over the, d- over the decades Over the centuries wants People who sacrificed for the gospel in the past had in mind a mature church, a church that was fully grown up, rendering an excellent return to God. And so Paul wrote at the start of chapter 4, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And then he went on to describe The kind of response that is worthy and we can sum it up very easily in two words and here they are grow up just grow up this is what God is looking for in us maturity is an outcome worthy of the gospel and so the last two sermons have been entitled time to grow part one and part two the church needs to become like a living organism and when we look around at creation, we see living, or, living organisms that have the ability to make themselves grow. And the human body is like that as well. We have within us something that makes us grow. The body makes itself grow. And so if you look at a, a child, a baby, for example, and you look at part of that baby, maybe its nose, <laughs> the nose inevitably will grow the ears will grow the fingers will grow because the body has the capacity within itself to make itself grow and we need to become that kind of a local church and you need to be a part of that kind of a local church so that you can grow because you won't grow in isolation just as a finger severed from the body is not going to grow and that's why Paul urges us to respond in two ways He first of all said we need to build and maintain unity because a divided body is not going to make itself grow. And then he went on to say that we need to serve one another in love in order to build up the body. And remember we had a look at what God has done to make it possible for us to build and maintain unity and to serve. He's provided a faith which unifies us He's also provided gifts. He's provided people. He provided Christ as a head. And when we combine and when we enter into a partnership where we carry out our responsibility by responding and combine that with what God has done, then we have these amazing explosive results. Now, today's passage is very closely linked to that first part of chapter 4 because Paul is moving on from the theme or the subject of unity and maturity and he's adding purity. This is another essential component of our response to the gospel. Unity, maturity, purity and we'll see today that to choose purity is to reject death and to choose life. Paul says you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. And in the context here, he's referring to people who are not Christ followers, who haven't been transformed and changed by the gospel. And he's saying that if you are a believer, then you mustn't live the way unbelievers live. People should be able to look at you and see a difference between the way you live and the way unsaved people live. If you've been given a new life in Christ Jesus, you should live a new life. And notice how serious Paul is here. He says, now this I say and testify in the Lord. In other words, he's not just saying it, he's bearing testimony in the Lord to something that the Lord has told him. If you look at the NIV, it says, I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord. And the NASB says, this I say and affirm together with the Lord. I hope you're getting the ideas, folks. This is the Lord speaking and we need to listen up. So we're going to unpack, as I said earlier, verses 17 to 19, which is about the old life, the life that is not really life at all, the life that we reject in order to reject death and to embrace real life. Now, It's important that we recognize and understand that old way of life for two reasons. First of all, so that we know what to reject. And then second of all, so that we can understand and help those people who are still trapped in that old way of life and are not experiencing life in all its fullness. So how have I divided up the sermon? We're going to talk about the characteristics of the old life the origin of the old life where does it come from this is so important to understand and know and then the outcome the characteristics the origins and the outcome let's dive in to the characteristics the problem and we need to get this of the old way of life is essentially an intellectual problem if you look at the phrases that Paul uses in those first few verses it's all to do with the mind it's all to do with the intellect He talks about the futility of their minds, the mind representing thinking. He talks about them being darkened in their understanding. And he talks about ignorance being in people. Folks, philosophies are powerful. They change the course of history. And beliefs affect behavior. The old way of life is grounded in wrong beliefs. So let's consider the first characteristic of wrong beliefs. Wrong beliefs are futile. In verse 17 he says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. The Gentiles live according to futile thinking. Now that word translated as thinking or mind refers to, it's not just an idea, it refers to a sort of a systematic mode or system of thinking, a philosophy if you like, a theory by which we understand life, a lens through which we look to interpret life. That's what thinking refers to and futile means meaningless or empty. So worldly people live according to systems of thinking that introduce meaningless and emptiness into their lives and of course we found an example of this in Professor Provine he chose to believe the theories of Darwinism and that led him to the conclusion that life is meaningless and empty and in fact any system of belief that excludes God and truth will lead to the same conclusion It is just that most people are not as honest as Professor Provine was. He followed his system of thinking to its logical conclusion. A lot of people don't do that. They believe the same things as Provine, but they don't follow out the implications of it. And so they sort of have this deep subconscious crack um, in, in their hearts, And they try and paper it over with things like pleasure or work or alcohol or food or materialism those things that they're trying to look to to bring meaning to a meaningless life however and this is important for us to to remember as Christians some people do begin to get a sense of how futile their lives are and they begin to realize that their system of beliefs does not account for reality. Suddenly things happen in their life that they just can't account for in their worldview. and we must be on the lookout for people like that amongst our friends and our family and our colleagues. It often happens folks at times of crisis such as the death of somebody close or perhaps the illness of a family member and we need to come alongside people like that to love them because with the help of Christ, we can lift them out of a pit of futility. So the old way of life is characterized first and foremost by futility. But it also involves darkness of understanding. Verse 18 says, they are darkened in their understanding. Now, in the ancient world, light was a sort of a universal symbol of understanding. And in the New Testament, light is used to, to symbolize a life giving relationship with God. So, whenever you see light in the Bible, it's talking about a life giving relationship that comes from the source of life, namely God Himself. And you know, the reality is that without God's help, we can't understand the truth, we won't get it. We need to be in a relationship. With God to see the truth. Because God is the one who reveals the truth to us. I wonder if you remember the prayer that Paul prayed in chapter 1, verses 15 to 23. He prayed that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may grant you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. Having the eyes of your heart, eyes of the heart, of the mind, enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. Without God's help, we're not going to get it. Only God can reveal the truth to you and to your unbelieving friend. Only he can enlighten darkened understanding. And that's why the truth just seems like foolishness to people who don't believe, um, that have excluded God from their lives. Because if you exclude God from your life, He is the originator of all knowledge of reality. You're not going to be able to understand reality for the way it actually is. An application of this truth. You will never be able to argue a person into the kingdom of God Without his help, without God's help. In fact, arguing, I don't know if you've noticed this, I have, it's seldom helpful unless a person's heart is being softened towards God. Unless he's starting to walk in an element of humility whereby he says, I don't think I know everything. And there's a possibility that there could be a God who knows everything. People like that, we can work with. People like that, God can work with and he starts revealing things to them and yes they do have a lot of uncertainty they have a lot of questions but it's coming from a place of humility and, a, and, and, and a, the possibility of submitting to God and those are the kind of people that we do need to answer their genuine questions because inevitably it won't end up in an argument. So if you're witnessing to someone or you found somebody like that in your life Just pray that the eyes of their heart would be enlightened. That's what Paul prayed for the Ephesians. So, so, so far we've covered two characteristics of the old way of life. Futility, darkness. Let's move on to the third characteristic. The old way of life is lifeless. And here we're getting to the kernel of today's message. Verse 18 says, they are darkened in their understanding, get this, alienated or separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Can you see the cause of the alienation? Alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. It's the beliefs that separate a person from the life of God. And fullness of life is inextricably linked to what we believe. If you are ignorant of the truth and believe a lie, then you will be cut off from life. If you believe, on the other hand, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, as he claimed in the Bible, then he will give you life, and life in all its fullness. Just have a look at John 10, verse 10. It says the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. Isn't that terrible? And we see that in the lives of people. Jesus, on the other hand, says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I wonder if the life that you have is really life. Or do you feel like there is something missing? Maybe you need a new way Of life and Jesus can give it to you. Maybe you need to be plugged in to the very source of life. He created all of this. Creation is throbbing with the life of God. Wouldn't we want to get plugged in to him? And every system of thinking that excludes God excludes life. If you're trying to make your life work without God, without including God in your life, without reference to him, then your life is gonna have a large degree of lifelessness in it. I'd like to read you a eulogy. It was written by a close acquaintance of John Paul Getty, who was one of the richest men in the world. I am one of the few people who can reveal the incredible facts about the late, unlamented, multi-billionaire. He was a lecher, a miser, a womanizer, whose private life was often bizarre beyond belief. He never conquered his fear of death, and he tried in vain to stay the the ravages of time by frequent facelifts. He was secretly afraid that anyone who approached him was trying to muscle in on his millions. He lacked affection, yet yearned to be loved. Throughout his adult life, love eluded him. The gloomy, pathetic, remote Getty was totally unlovable. I doubt if he could have accounted five faithful friends and I question whether anyone anywhere shed a tear of genuine grief when last month amongst his earthly trappings he quietly closed his chronicle of wasted time. No hope, no meaning, no life. I just hope that one day when people come to remember your life that they won't remember it as a chronicle of wasted time. At this point, I think it's informative to ask ourselves, if the, old wa- if the old way of life leads to futility, darkened understanding and a lack of life, it's a terrible outcome, isn't it? Where does it begin? So that we make sure that we don't end up on that track. Is there a process? And, and if there is a process, well, where does it start? let's have a look at verse 17 I'm going to read it again and see if you can look at the uh, if you can pick up the chain of cause and effect here now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds they are darkened in their understanding alienated from the life of God now why are they alienated from the life of God what is the cause of that alienation that disconnect so that they don't receive God's life. It says, because of the ignorance that is in them. That's what we've already been contending. So the ignorance separates them from the life of God. But where does the ignorance come from? It says, because of the ignorance that is in them, effect, ignorance, cause, due to their hardness of heart. The old way of life, and you'll see this in your own life, begins with a hardness of heart towards God. Hardness of heart is in its essence a problem of the will and it leads to a problem of the mind. It all began when men or individuals chose not to submit to God and to serve him. Man's problem is that he wants to be his own God. He wants to call the shots in life. He wants to be in charge. He doesn't want to submit himself to God. We don't want to live in reference to God. Look at this. It's from Romans chapter 1, verses 20 to 23. This is Paul expressing the same concept, the same chain of cause and effect in different words. He's talking about God here. He says, God's invisible attributes namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world how are they perceived in the things that have been made so they are without excuse people who don't believe for although they knew God he's saying you can know enough about God from creation to recognize that you should submit yourself to him when you look at creation surely there must be um, a creator, someone of great power, of great majesty, of great beauty, um, of, of, of great wisdom and knowledge. Surely there needs to be someone who created all of this. But verse 21 says that, for although they knew God from what they saw, they did not honor him as God. If you honor somebody else, you submit yourself to them. You say this person has a right to determine how I live. So they didn't honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish, foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. So can you see it started off with a problem of the heart, a problem of the will. I, I don't really want to submit. And so the Darwinist looks at creation It's a powerful testimony to the nature of God, but he does not want to submit to God. So what does he do? He formulates a theory that explains creation without reference to God. And as Professor Provine has so eloquently articulated, that theory leads to futility, and it's ignorant. Can you imagine walking along a beach and finding a handcrafted watch, and you open it up, and there's this elegant intricate mechanism with springs and cogs and you look at it and you say wow look at what the wind and the waves and the sand have created just utterly futile and ignorant that's the effect of hardness of heart refusing to live in a relationship with God it's ignorance which is hardly surprising, for it is God who teaches us the truth, isn't it, through a relationship with Christ. So just to sum it up, this section, the old way of life involved a distortion of the mind because of a corruption of the will. And a darkened mind combined with the darkened will produces a terrible outcome. Let's have a look at it in verse 19 before we close the outcome of the old way of life, they have become callous. When something is callous, it's insensitive to stimuli. That's that's why Paul said in in chapter 2, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Dead, not dead in the sense that they were physically dead, but dead in the sense that We were unable to relate to God, to be in a relationship with the God who brings life. They have become callous. And then what happens after that? We give ourselves up to sensuality, trying to paper over the cracks by all sorts of different experiences and pleasures. And we become the next step greedy to practice every kind of impurity. And folks... This is not a great outcome. I wonder if you've noticed that it gets steadily easier and easier to say yes to sin. And it becomes harder and harder to break the bonds of sin the more we repeat the same sin. In Gulliver's Travels, Gulliver ends up in a place with all these tiny little little men and women. And they wouldn't have been able to tie him down with one of their ropes. But he fell asleep And they got hundreds and thousands of ropes and they managed to tie him down. And it's the same with sin. Whenever we do something in rebellion to God, problem of the will, it's like a little thread gets wound around us. And we can easily break that thread. But if we put on another thread and another thread and another thread and another thread, in the end, we are totally helpless. We're callous. And that's why we need the Lord Jesus Christ to come and rescue us with the power that he brings by indwelling us with his holy spirit folks the outcome of that old way of life is idol worship if we refuse to worship god know this we are all created to worship something we will end up worshiping something else and believe me idols never satisfy and they make cruel masters You just ask someone who has money and who has um, money as his master how many dollars is enough and he will always answer one more. Money is a harsh master to have but thank God we've been called to a new way of life and as we continue next time to to look at the next few verses we'll begin to see the things that we can do to to reject the old life by embracing the new. Today we've been talking about the negative in a sense, about the rejection. We're going to start talking about the positive side of it, how to choose life. Just in closing, we have received an incredible calling. And who would want to go back to that old way of life? There is no way, and I'm sure it's the same for you, that you want a life that is futile And dark and lifeless. We don't want to be like Professor Provine or John Paul Getty. But the question is will we live a life of purity worthy of the calling that we have received? God has provided everything that we need for life and godliness. We've just got to use the power that He's given us and work it out. That old way of life started with the refusal to submit to the will of God. The new way started when we submitted to the truth and entered into a learning, life-giving relationship with God. Shall we pray? Father God, um, as believers today, we just stand in absolute awe of the salvation that you have earned for us and of the life that you now give us, you being the source of all life we thank you for this so much. Father, we thank you for the reminder today that we need to choose purity. We need to choose to submit our wills to you on a daily basis. And we commit ourselves as a church to doing that. And then, Father, I also want to pray for those people who who are just saying, "I, I, I believe that there is more life to life. Father I ask that in the process of them submitting their will to you and starting to explore I pray that you would take their hearts of stone and give them hearts of flesh that are alive to you, that are not calloused to you. I pray that they would come to discover you as the source of life. Maybe maybe you're feeling a little bit skeptical at the moment. Just go with it. See what God reveals to you. He is the source of life. He's the source of all knowledge He's amazing, and, uh, and he will lead you into a life that is truly worthy of the title life. And just in closing, we pray also for all those families who have adopted and harvest. We thank you for the way in which you have given each of those children a home, a father, a mother, family. Those children one day if they, if they needed to put photographs on the back of their jersey they would have lots of photographs to put on there and we thank you for that and we pray for your blessing on them and we also ask for you to help us as a church to continue engaging um, with this problem, the orphan problem in Zimbabwe so that there might be more children that would be able to put lots of photographs on the back of their jersey one day in the future. And we ask all of these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.